Last week we spoke a bit about some of the things that were, and still are, going on in our world. And um, I had something different planned last week, and, and God took it a different direction, it seemed. And have you ever, I'm sure that you have, but maybe one of your parents said this to you, or maybe you said this to one of your own kids. Well, if your friends jumped over Niagara Falls, would you jump too? All right? Or if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump too? Okay. And I got so tired of hearing that. <laughs> and now I've said it many times. I said, oh, man. How many of us know that we become our parents? <laughs> oh, God, help us all. <laughs> oh, goodness. Speaking of parents, I have the honor of having my mom and my Uncle Dave. If you guys would just give a wave. Many of you saw them here yesterday for Alex's grad party. And uh, they're up here from Kansas. And uh, it's just uh, great to have them here. And uh, we're glad. Thank you all, before I forget, for those of you that came yesterday we had a great time together, and we ate all lots of food, and um, I just want to thank you, too, for your help and setting up, and some of you were there even Friday helping set up and cooking and making a bunch of stuff and helping tear everything down, make sure everything's cleaned up for today, and um, boy, that really just uh, helps us out so much, and, and your love for us is expressed in those things, and we just want to thank you so much for all of those things. Maybe, maybe you heard that saying, well, if your friends jumped over Niagara Falls, maybe you heard that in response to something that you were doing, okay? Maybe things like, um, you know, doing what everybody else was doing or wanting to do what everybody else was doing, right? Um, maybe you have said something like, well, Johnny Walker's doing that. Why can't I? He's doing it, right? Or it's the new look. Everybody's wearing them. Maybe you've said that. I remember once going school shopping, and as I was picking out this the weirdest looking shirt, somebody said, You're, don't even bother getting that thing. You're not going to wear it. Oh, yes, I will. Everybody's wearing these shirts. I never wore that shirt. <laughs> never once. <laughs> Everybody's wearing them. When we see the acts of terrorism and things like that being played out before our very eyes, we watch them every day on the news and it goes from one place to the next and frankly, it's coming too close to home. How are we to respond? In light of these things, how then shall we live? And it makes us consider what our response should be. And sometimes, you know, are we to 
cower and hide in fear? Are we to amass weapons and build up an army of people who will lead a revolt, maybe? When we see the rioting and the the clamoring in the streets of our own country, sometimes we may wonder, well, maybe we should be doing that. Maybe we should be responding that way. Maybe we're the ones that are missing out. Maybe we should be shouting and and yelling and throwing things and and responding in the same way with violence. Throwing rocks and starting fires and shooting police officers and innocent people. Shouting with rage and losing all self-control and stealing and looting. Maybe we should just throw off all the things that are hindering us and just join in with everybody else. It seems like others are doing that. Why shouldn't we? Maybe, maybe this is the new normal. Maybe this is what we should expect. I do, however, believe that these things are going to get worse. I do believe it, and I, I see it. I think you see it as well. But inside, I have this hope. I have this hope that we will respond differently. I hope that in light of the present state of moral and ethical and civil and social decline in our world, that we can set a standard. Because you know what? There is a standard by which we are to live. There is a roadmap we are to follow. How then shall we live? There may be somebody close to you, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your family, or your town, or maybe even here in your church, that will respond in a way that is contrary to what God expects of us as his people. How do we respond to these things when they come? Are we fearful? We might be. We might be. And we talked about our our stomachs churning sometimes when we watch the news. Some of us have stopped watching the news altogether because of it. And it just makes things look so bad. And we wonder, what is the answer? How do we make sense of all these things? What, what is our responsibility as people of God? What can we do to make a difference? Boy, I'm so glad you asked those questions. Would you turn with me today to Second or Second Chronicles, chapter seven, verse fourteen? <laughs> what a fitting, what a fitting scripture 
for the times that we are living in. I believe that there is a direct correlation between people's rejection of God and the things of God and the state that our world is in today. When we say no to God, we don't want God in our schools, we don't want God in our government, we don't want God here, we don't want God there, and we talked about there being a movement now to remove in God we trust from our money. We're, there's a movement to remove the Ten Commandments from public properties, you know, and things like this, and some of them have been effective and successful. And but basically what that is doing is saying, God, we don't want you involved in our stuff. We'll do it ourselves. Okay. You just stay over there. We'll just refer to you once in a while. And we've heard it said in Scripture that having a form of godliness, but what? Denying its power. And so there would be a form of religion, a form of godliness, and it would look like godliness because maybe it's coming from a religious figure or coming from a religious building, but there's no meat behind it. There's no living according to the precepts of God underneath it. And so the words are just hollow. The words are hollow. And as it says in the Bible, having a, quote, form of godliness, but denying its power. There's no power behind it because it's only referencing God, using God as a way to move people and sway people and convince people that what they're saying is right. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And so... In the Word of God, we find golden nuggets. You may have seen on TV these Alaska shows. You know, man, there's about 15 of them now, different, different shows, Bering Sea Gold, you know, and, and things like that where they're digging for gold and they're trying to just find all these little specks of gold and they collect more and more and more and pretty soon they've got enough that's, you know, worth some serious money. In the Word of God are these, in a sense, golden nuggets, and we can find scriptures that pertain to the very things that we're going through. Some would say that the Bible is just, it's just a book. It's just a historical book. Well, that it is. Well, it's not pertaining, it's not relevant to what we're going through today. The Bible says that there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. It is relevant for today. It is relevant for our lives. The Bible says in Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It guides us. It's like a flashlight. It's like a lantern that we carry in the darkness guiding us so that we can see what's coming ahead. We can see so that we won't stumble. God's Word is a GPS. Some of you have been traveling this summer. Obviously, some of us are traveling right now. I'm going to be traveling this week. We'll use a GPS 
And we may hear those words that we just love to hear. Recalculating. <laughs> Recalculating. Oh. In a half a mile, take your next left. But God's word is our GPS. It guides us. It shows us where to go. Chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will do four things. One, will humble themselves. And two, pray. And three, seek my face. And four, turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You may have seen my Facebook post this week, or maybe not. I just took a picture of this scripture as I was reading it this week, early on in the week. It is the answer for our world. The world needs to know what God's Word says. The world needs to know where to turn for the answer. The answer is not in politics, though politics, like them or not, are very important. The answer is not in government. The answer is not in getting the right person as president, though all these things really are important. The answer is found in the Word of God. How we are to live. You see, God gave us laws to live by so that we could live lives of blessing, of favor. When we live our lives in obedience to God's Word, He gives a long list of things. We read a few weeks back in Deuteronomy. It says, if you promise, if you live by these laws that I'm giving you today, if you walk in obedience to these things, then I'm going to do this. And he gives a long list of things that he's going to do to bless us. That's God's heart towards his people, always wanting to love them, always wanting the best for his people. And if we live by his laws, we can be sure that he will bless us. But if, on the other hand, we turn away from God and we say, God, we don't need you anymore. We got it covered. Thank you very much. I'll see you later. We will reap the consequences of our actions. I asked one of my professors a few years ago when I was in college, does God punish people? And I was doing, I, I guess, some sort of report or something. <laughs> I don't know why. But I asked one of my professors that I greatly respected, and he says, no, I don't think so anymore. It's just basically you will reap the consequences of your actions. Well, I believe, according to the Word of God, that that's not necessarily true. We will definitely reap the consequences of our decisions, good or bad, 
okay? That's just kind of life. That's just the way it is. However, on top of that, we will reap the favor and blessing of God if we walk in accordance to his laws and his word. On the opposite of that, if we turn away and refuse and disobey, then we are going to be... Listen, in God's word, he says this, God punishes those he what? He loves. God punishes those he loves. As a son or a father, as a father, his son. Okay? If a father does not care about their child, you go and do what you want. And we all know people like that. We all know parents like that. We know children like that. They're ruthless. They're lawless. They're Nobody can tell them anything. All right? But if a, ch- a parent loves that child, they love them enough to be tough. Okay? We call it tough love sometimes. We love that child enough to say no. That's not good for you because I know that that is going to hurt you. Don't play in the street, Johnny. <laughs> okay? And so on and so forth. If we love our children, we care for them enough to be strong enough to tell them no or to discipline them when they do something that can potentially hurt them. Teaching them that there are consequences to their actions. God punishes those he loves. God loves us enough to punish us. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So there are some qualifying Things, qualifying factors, circumstances, criteria that need to happen before God will act and forgive our sin and heal our land. There are some things that we need to do. First of all, we need to humble ourselves. We need to admit to God that what we're doing is not working. We need to admit that Trying it our way does not seem to be the answer. There's a scripture that says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to what? Destruction. Proverbs. We need to admit to God, we need you. We need you. Secondly, we need to pray. So we're humbling ourselves before God, recognizing our need. We need to pray to God. We need to come to him and ask. We need to seek his face, as his word says. Seek his face. Look for him. Look for him. Seek, seek him. Because why? Because he has the answers. And he has the power. Amen. Amen. And turn fourthly from our wicked ways. Boy, it just seems like wickedness 
is really beginning to get some momentum, doesn't it? For a long, long time, we would see little signs here and there that, you know, wow, that's really, if we took a step back 20 or 30 years ago and we put today back in those times, people would say, oh, no, it can't be. Now it's the norm. Now it's the norm. What has happened? Over time, we see it so much, we get desensitized by it, and we don't, we're not awed by it anymore. We're not awestruck anymore. It's a daily occurrence. We expect it. If we will humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God and turn from our wicked ways, then will He forgive our sin and heal our land. Friends, our land needs healing. Our world needs healing. It's not only in our country. How then shall we live in response to the state of affairs in our world? How then shall we live? What is my responsibility in regards to the situation? God gives us some guidance. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17? So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Notice that. The hardening of their hearts. When we harden our hearts against God, bad things happen. Okay? Look at Pharaoh. All right? You've all heard the story of Pharaoh in Egypt preventing the slaves from leaving. And all the plagues came on Pharaoh because of his hardened heart. Let's continue on. Having lost all sensitivity, verse 19, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Do we see that today in our world? Do we see a lust for more and more evil, sensuality? I mean, all, each new show tries to push the limits even farther of sensuality. Amen. They'll even advertise them on stations that are family-oriented, and pretty soon you've got to jump up in front of the TV, forcing it in front of our, our eyes indulging in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Verse 20, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, the person that you used to be before you came to Christ, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Okay? There seems to be a lot of anger out there. And the Bible says, it doesn't say, don't be angry. That's like telling somebody, don't be sad. But he is saying, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In a sense, saying, get rid of the anger quick. Don't let it hang on to you. Have you ever had something, maybe, a, maybe you've had a tiff with your husband or your wife. Might be hard for you to relate to. But sometimes it happens. And instead of addressing the problem that day, pretty soon a day has gone by and you're kind of waiting for the other one to take care of their part, you know, maybe to come to you first and say, I'm sorry. I know this is really hard to relate to. (laughs) Pretty soon two days have gone on and then three and then you got a handful of days that have gone on and you're holding this grudge against the person you love more than anybody else. And what it's saying is, don't, don't let that happen. Don't let that, get rid of that right away. It's not worth it. Don't, don't even let the sun go down on your anger. Right? Deal with it. Get it, get it over with quick. Let's continue. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do, okay, now here, listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, it's real easy during uh, political heat and um, voting and all these things that are going on to have some really tough and, and heated conversations during our summer gatherings. Is it not? A couple things you don't talk about at family gatherings. Religion and politics. <laughs> right? Get, okay, so do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Let's go down to verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, hatred. Be kind and compassionate. So now it's like a contrast. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. It's it's hard to even believe that that's in the word of God in the the world that we live in today. You can't even go through the checkout aisle with a bunch of garbage being right in your face Yeah? On the magazine rack. TV stations. 
radio stations. It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's really difficult to live a life that is pure, but it's not impossible. And thank God for the blood of Jesus. Amen. If it were not for the blood of Jesus and forgiveness of sin, we would be lost and hopeless in our sin. Verse 4, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person such as such a man is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Live as children of light. How then are we to live? In light of the world that we're living in, we are to live as children of the light. Well, what's the light? Jesus is the light. It's as if he is a lighthouse. And the seas are stormy and it's dark. And that light shines and it beckons to the ships that are in danger. Come this way to the safety of the harbor. This is the way home. Jesus is the light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them for it is shameful even to mention what, is, what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now listen to this. How then are we to live? Listen, verse 15. Be, that, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but what? Wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we were kids playing a game and, and someone would break the rules or cheat, we would cry out a phrase. Do you remember what that phrase was? No fair! No fair! Remember that? It doesn't even make sense. No fair! Okay, but that's what it was. And I even hear it still, my kids. No fair! He cheated. He's not playing by the rules. Something in our spirits cries out when we see the things going on in the world. No fair! No fair! That's not right! You're cheat. You're not living by the rules anymore. Does that mean that we should go along and cheat and steal and riot and this and that and just become like the others? No. No. Not the people of God. 
God has a standard that we are to live by. He expects more of us. When we see the atrocities occurring, who will stop these these senseless killings? Who will come and save the day and make everything good again by the time the episode ends? Like a TV show. When, how will peace be restored again? I mean, isn't Superman or Mighty Mouse or Wonder Woman supposed to be here by now to make everything okay? Somebody? To make it right? Fix it all? So that we're all happy and friends again? How in the midst of the chaos and rebellion, lawlessness, are we supposed to live our lives? Some people would say, where, and you're going to hear this more and more, where is this God of yours? Where is he? You've been talking about his his return for over 2,000 years. Where is he? What's he waiting for? What's the holdup? Let's get this going. If what you say is true. If he's real, why hasn't he intervened in some way? If he's real, why is there so much suffering in the world? Have you not asked yourself that question? I have. Why is there so much evil in the world? Why is he delaying? If he's real. Would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3? 2 Peter, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. What promise? The promise of his return. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. No, he is patient with us, with you, with me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In response to the question, where is God Shouldn't he have been here by now to intervene and fix all this stuff? Where is he? Why is he delaying? If he is real. The Lord, in First Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what? God is waiting on us. God is waiting on you. You know, you've heard me say this many times, but it's worth repeating. We can't control other people. We can't make them do what is right. We can't make them do anything. But we can control ourselves. We can control ourselves. Sometimes you wonder, but yes, we can. And God insists on it that we control ourselves. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, when we were young kids, we learned about the golden what? The golden rule. How then shall we live? There's a book out there or a a teaching that says everything that I needed to know I learned in grammar school or kindergarten or something like that. The golden rule. And everything 
Do to others what you would have them to do to you. But it doesn't end there. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do to others what you would have them to do to you. How then shall we live? Do to others as you would have them to do to you. I want to challenge you, friends. As we move forward, as we proceed, as people of God, in the midst of evil around us, there are some really, really, really good people. And I love it. I love it when there is extreme need and people come out of the woodwork to meet the need, Christian and non. I love that. I really do. But there's more to it than being good. There's more to it than being positive. Okay? If we don't give them the answer, what are we giving them? We, are, we have the answer. Don't withhold it. Don't take the light and put a basket over it to keep it from shining. When I was young, we sang a song, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Right? That's a little bluesy version, but you, you get the idea. All right? Don't take the light of Christ. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't, don't put it under a basket so nobody sees it. Let the light of Christ in your life shine. Let others see that light. Maybe share a little bit of light with them. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't share that light, we're like somebody standing on the banks of a raging river and your friend is floating down that river unable to swim and they're going under and you have in your hand the lifeline you have in your hand that white lifesaver thing and you instead of throwing it you're like nope swim to the side you say swim to the side i'm praying for you <laughs> Swim, you can do. And all the while, in your hands, you hold the keys to their survival. And yet, you retain it. Friends, take that lifesaver. Take that thing and give it a heave for all you're worth. Send it out to people that need it. Send it out. Let's close in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. Lord, I just want to thank you that you've not left us alone. You've not left left us as helpless people. But you've given us your word. You've given us a guide, a GPS, Lord, to guide us, to show us the way. 
I pray that you would help us not to fear, not to worry, not to stress or fret, but help us, God, to trust in you and help us to shine your light in a world where there's a lot of darkness. I pray these things in your name. Amen.